This is Word on the Streets, a podcast about the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project. This podcast is created by the City of Midland, Michigan, and produced by the MCTV Network. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Word on the Streets, a podcast about information, updates, and perspective on the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project in Midland, Michigan, and beyond. I'm your host, Katie Geyer, here with my co-host, Grant Marshall. Good morning, Grant. Good morning, Katie. So we got to start off with a little bit of sad news. This episode is going to be our last episode with Grant as our co-host. He is moving on to a super exciting new opportunity, uh, still in Midland, still going to be making an impact on our community and the places and the spaces we inhabit. So Grant, congratulations on the new gig. We're going to miss you on this podcast, let's be honest. Hey, well, thank you, Katie. I am I am a little bit disappointed to leave. I know, um, thank you for, for what you said, and I'm excited for the new opportunity, but I'll still be around Midland, and um, that transition is going to happen here in May of 2022, and so um, you'll still send me around at a lot of different events, and I'll still be involved in, in different ways, so looking forward to it. Perfect. And now you can come back as a guest. So keep your calendar open for future dates. If you'll have me. Yes. (laughs) I think we will. So speaking of guests, we do have a guest in the studio today, and it is someone that Grant and I work with on a very regular basis. He joined the city in July 2021 with more than 15 years of public and private sector engineering experience in Michigan, Indiana, Florida, and Illinois. He has extensive experience in traffic management, congestion mitigation, utilities engineering, and transportation planning, and has a bachelor's degree in civil engineering with a minor in economics from Michigan Technological University. He is also a licensed professional engineer. I'm excited to welcome our City of Midland City Engineer, Matt Lemon. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for having me this morning. All right. Well, let's get right into the fun stuff we have planned for today. Um, Let's start by kind of telling the listeners, Matt, a little bit about what the city engineer actually does for the community. So the main thing that I'm in charge of and, and the engineering department handles is all of our infrastructure improvement projects, um, starting with roadways, working through um, storm sewers and sanitary sewers, everything above ground, everything under the ground. Uh, We work to identify what condition we have everything in currently, what needs to be done, what kind of funding we can apply to that, and prioritizing all of those projects to to make sure we, we spend our money wisely and get things done the best way we can. Sure, sure. So since we talk about streets a lot on this mm-hmm. podcast, let's get into our street network. We get a lot of questions about uh, road construction, street infrastructure. There's a couple different ways that we approach projects like that. Can you kind of talk about what that looks like? So we kind of have um, a number of different options that we can do depending on the condition of the roadway, um, what kind of utility work we need underneath it. Um, the main three options we have are um, resurfacing a roadway where we'll basically, um, if the roadway is starting to fall apart a little bit, it's it's been around for quite a while. Um, we've got some, some decent cracks there, but but overall the structure of the road is, is pretty good. Um, we'll typically come in and we call that resurfacing where we'll pull off the top layer of asphalt or so um, and then basically come back in and put some new surface on it. Just make it um, a little bit smoother ride and freshen things up. If it's 
not quite even that bad. Um, we're just working on maintenance to make sure it gets as much life as, as we can get. Um, we'll do kind of a surface treatment on that where we might come in and, and fill in some of the existing cracks, but basically leaving the roadway as it is for the most part. Um, and then, you know, we also have the option of, of reconstruction. If, if we've got some utilities underneath the road that we need to replace or if it's in really rough shape or um, it's just time to get in there and, and do something completely new, we'll come in and, and do a total reconstruct on it where we'll tear the entire roadway out all the way down to the, the ground underneath it and, and rebuild everything brand new up from there, which obviously is the, the most expensive, but then we're looking at a brand new roadway and, and hopefully uh, a good 20 to 25 years out of a new one. Sure. So we get a lot of questions from residents about how we determine, you know, what we do to a road when it needs repair mm -hmm. or what streets get repaired and at what level. Can you talk a little bit about how we make those decisions? Because I know sure. it's a lot that goes yeah, into it. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so the first step towards that is every year we go out and um, we send people out. We evaluate all of our roadways as far as what condition it's in, what is the, the ride quality like. Um, we'll go out and, and kind of give each roadway a, a number score, basically, uh, from, from 1 to 100, um, as far as what condition it's in, what kind of work we think might be needed there. Um, that's one piece of, of the overall pie that goes into it. We also uh, coordinate really closely with um, all of our other departments as far as utilities, um, what's what's the age of the water main that may be underneath the road, what kind of sewer improvements do we need to do there, um, and, and also, you know, traffic volumes, too. On our major roadways, when we're looking at, um, you know, something like uh, Jefferson or Saginaw Road or something like that, you know, if we're we're a little bit closer towards the needing to do something there. Um, we know if we've got a lot of traffic on that roadway, it, it wears down pretty quickly. Sure, so we sure. may have to bump that one up um, in the, the, the future year's planning. Um, but all of that goes into it as, as well as you know information and, and feedback we get from the public as far as what they're seeing out there and, and what they um, desire to have done. So we kind of wrap that all in together and coordinate with a lot of different departments to come up with our best plan for how do we spend the available funding. Sure, sure. Well, and that's a that's a good point, Matt, kind of what you're talking about with collaboration. And that's really where um, my Department of Planning um, has gotten to work very closely with engineering over the years, yes. um, especially through our capital improvement plan that we do annually. Um, the CIP is something that um, we've wanted to intentionally look at in the context of long, comprehensive planning for the community. Um, and assisting with some of those decisions around um, which streets to focus on, but also the underground infrastructure that sure. it's very easy for the public to forget about. All of that exists. Um, all of that has to be looked at um, around terms of economic development, um, community resiliency, ways in which we can mitigate against things like flooding um, and impacts of large um, uh, precipitation and, and rain events. So um, that, I think, is, is something that... Um, there's lots more opportunity, and we've been trying to build that that foundation right. um, and can continue to evolve in that way, certainly as City Modern continues on as well. Um, will there be opportunity to better integrate those things together? 
Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. How how integrated is the master plan with the CIP? Because the CIP is almost like a mini master plan for infrastructure, basically, right? It is. It is. And um, I would I'd love to say that it's fully aligned. Um, but really, when we did our last comprehensive update of the master plan back in 2005, 2006, um, we did not have the same kind of CIP that we currently have today. We were still working off of an engineered priority list, um, which did look at long-term planning, but it wasn't as comprehensive as the current CIP. Um, so there is a lot of opportunity for us to continue to move in that direction, which I know is the intention of city staff uh, to want to continue to move that way. Um, I think the other thing um, sort of related to that is the recognition, kind of what you said at the end, Matt, is um, there's only a finite number of resources. Right. Right. And there, there certainly is. There is. <laughs> there's there's a, a lot of work that goes into pr that prioritization. Absolutely. <laughs> and we have a lot of infrastructure. Yeah, we do. And um, we say often that we're, you know, the, the fifth largest city in the state of Michigan by, by simple area, right. over 36 square miles, which is larger than the rate than, than an ordinary sized general law township. We're not even in the top 25 in population. Right. And so when you have sprawling development like we have, you have a lot of lane miles, you have a lot of linear foot of piping, you have... Um, yeah, we have hundreds of miles of, yes. of roadway and, and sewers. Correct. A two-lane road, um, if you took all of our lane miles in the city and you created a two-lane road, it would stretch from Midland all the way to St. Louis, Missouri. That is wild. Mm-hmm. Which is a very I mean, we forget about the scale of that, yeah. and um, and so it's it's important to recognize how when you do long term planning in a community, it, you have to realize the value you are creating in different pockets of land development. Um, you have to care that it does in fact pay for all of the infrastructure that's around it. Um, it's nice to sprawl in single family subdivisions and things like that, which I know is a very big desire for a lot of community members. Um, but the reality is, is that those new developments will never pay for themselves mm -hmm. because there's not enough value created on that property in order to feed all of the funding models that we have available to us in, uh, to pay for all of that infrastructure long term. Sure. I'm glad you brought up funding, actually, um, because I was just reading an article from the Detroit News. Um, we'll put a link to that article on the podcast website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash corridors. Um, they published it just the other day that the cost of fixing Michigan's roads is up to $800,000 per mile for a local street this year. Um, obviously, we've all seen how COVID has impacted material shortages, labor shortages, increases in uh, material costs, all of those things. And that's likely probably not going to go away. Let's be honest. Prices typically don't just plummet overnight. If anything, they continue to slowly increase. So, Matt, how much impact does funding have on what projects we choose to do and when they happen? It, it really has a, a big impact on that. Um, as, as Grant was kind of mentioning, you know, we have a, a limited number of funds and, and resources per year that, that we can spend um, both for, from you know, just, a, a, just a financial standpoint and, and from a, a manpower and a labor standpoint mm -hmm. as well. Um, so you know, we, we've got our, our number that we're comfortable hitting each year with funds that we can spend and, and work that we can physically accomplish throughout the year. And, you know, we go through uh, for, for all of these projects that we identify as potential um, projects, and we run through cost estimates and, and go through all the financial projections and everything. And we've got all of those numbers, and, and we kind of have to 
work back and forth and take that into account with the prioritizing the roadway conditions and the utility needs and everything as well as far as what can we physically accomplish this year to to make sure we get as much done as we can. Sure. I just wanted to point out while you mentioned manpower, um, I think there is a bit of a misconception that the city has its own construction crews, and we don't. Um, no, talk we do a little not. bit about what that looks like for a road construction. No, we, we don't have our own crews. Um, we do most of the roadway design for our projects in-house, and then we'll bid that out for contractors to come in and, and perform the actual construction. A lot of times we will have somebody on site doing an inspection of that construction, but yeah, private contractors are the ones that come in and actually um, construct those roadways or, or make those repairs. And you know that's that's one of those big things that we're struggling with right now, as far as you know their schedule, their manpower, and the things that we get on their schedule. Um, you know, we we may see some cost increases in order to make them happen. So that's mm -hmm. that all goes into it as well. It's it's quite a balancing act. Sure. Yeah. yeah I know we get a lot of um, comments. You know, people will drive through a construction zone, and if they don't see activity every single day, they think something is wrong with the project. Um, talk a little bit about you sp spoke about contractors. Talk about how we schedule how that work happens because it can't all happen one thing right after another no, continuously. It, it, right? No, it can't. Um, you know, Typically, uh, the contractors are, are larger businesses. Um, they've got multiple projects going on um, in the area or, or throughout the state or potentially even nationwide all at the same time. So they're always bouncing crews back and forth and making sure they have things staffed at the right levels and at the right time. So you know, with, within our contracts, we have start dates and, and final completion dates, um, but we give them a little bit of flexibility to work within those, and we have weather concerns built in and things like that. Um, but there's also a lot of the other things that aren't necessarily visible or, or top of your mind um, when the contractor's in there working on construction. Um, they may come in and, and pour a bunch of concrete, come through and, and do a lot of curb work or driveways or things like that. And really, we, we need to give that concrete time to cure and to harden up and to be able to drive on and, and sure. move forward with the project. So they may shift their crews to a different project within town or in a different municipality, and then um, we've got to wait to get that strength built up in the concrete and get our right testing results and everything before they can come back and move on to the next step. So it's not necessarily always just nothing's happening. It, right. it may be just a one of those steps where it, it's not active construction on site. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of talking about those those individual construction zones, I think it's also important to realize, too, that um, kind of what you said, Matt, it's uh, every industry has seen um, labor shortages and different things because people are choosing to want to go other places. Right. And there's a whole host of variables that are at play there. One thing I know that is true of construction zones, though, is simply just the safety component right. and the perceived safety. So sometimes I think um, there's been pinches within that industry by people not wanting to take those jobs because it's it's a it's dangerous absolutely and yeah. um and i know i've witnessed on a number of occasions people driving like crazy <laughs> through construction zones yeah. it happens a lot it does yeah. and um and that behavior um actually has consequences for the industry because you are um sort of creating that environment that then could deter people from actually um wanting to choose that profession um and then ultimately um could slow down 
possible projects. So, yeah. so I, I right. think that's sort of a, I wanted to say that because I think sometimes people forget that there's sort of a reverberation around some of the hip behaviors that we're trying really, really hard to correct. And so, and even just thinking of MDOT's signs across the state and other areas like slow down when you're in construction zones, yeah. um, because it's very important for a multitude of, of things. Um, in that whole realm of how we take care of our infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. And even that minor slowdown, which may increase your commute time or, or your trip time by a minute or two, it, it makes a big difference safety wise and scheduling wise and trying to get the projects done for the best value. Yep. Absolutely. I, I agree. And, and, you know, with some of these major street projects we've done in the last couple of years, you know, sometimes we will only allow, let's say, westbound traffic and we'll close to eastbound sure. traffic. I understand that that's frustrating for people and annoying if you got to drive all the way around your neighborhood or, you know, take a five-minute detour. But a lot of times that is done in an effort to keep construction moving and keep people safe within that zone while they're working while still allowing some type of construction to occur and some type of traffic to go through. So I know I have this conversation with the attorney's office a lot, but if you see a road close to through traffic sign and you are planning to just drive through that construction zone, please do not do that because that is very dangerous for the crew. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for your car because who knows what's lying beyond that sign. So right. if nothing else, you know, consider your own safety and the safety of your vehicle. But let's remember that there are human beings working within those construction zones. So that's a very good um, point. So very let's point. let's keep that um, in mind and definitely slow down, which is the whole um, outro of this podcast. It so. is. It is. I had a feeling we were going to connect into that, <laughs> right? Um, which is good. So so I guess maybe shifting back a little bit more towards the funding conversation to start to really understand sort of how, how are our street projects funded, yeah. especially at the local level. Um, there's lots of discussion right now around infrastructure spending at the federal mm -hmm. level. Um, some bills that have been passed out of con Congress and signed by the Biden administration that's yeah. really um, provided a lot of financial resources into infrastructure. Um, but Matt, I think there's a perception maybe locally that there's general fund dollars that go to um, to roadways, um, or there's sort of another perception that is um, vehicle users pay for all of the infrastructure through gas and weight tax taxes and other fees. So sure. could you explain a little bit about how we fund local road projects? Yeah, those those gas and weight taxes um, are really a, a very small portion of, of how we fund everything. Um, the majority of it is coming from our, our two um, roadway millages, really. And that is, is you know, city or, or county-wide. Um, that gets funneled into um, a couple different funds. We have a, a local street fund and a major street fund, um, which gets applied to different roadways based on levels of traffic and, and how we use them throughout the city. Um, but those are, are really the main funding sources there. Uh, we do have some grants that we go out and, and try to obtain, and we work with um, both the our, our MPO here, um, the Midland Area Transportation Study, which is right next to City Hall. Yep. And also, um, we do a lot through MDOT as well, trying to come up with available funding and outside sources because you know, the funding that's available through those road millages, we use most of that money um, towards fixing our roads, but there's, there's no way that it can accommodate uh, all of the construction that needs to happen, all of the repairs that need to happen. Um, 
like you had mentioned earlier, Grant, we have so many lane miles and so much road out there. Um, there's there's no way to cover it all um, with just those small pieces. So there's there's a lot of different funding sources that we look at, and we try to make use of anything that we can find that's available. Yeah. No, and that makes a lot of sense. I think it's um, then logical to conclude that we do subsidize our roads. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, we absolutely and, do. And, yeah. and, and that's that right there in and of itself is, I think, a, um, a, a good reality to understand. It's not a bad thing, um, but I think it's it, we have to realize that um, that the users of the roads um, aren't fully paying for them. No. And so it is it is public dollars that go in and subsidize um, in order to, to stay up and kind of what we've been talking about, um, not fully take care of it all, but do the best we can. Sure. Correct. Grant, I know you work with our MPO every once in a while. Can you t- explain to people what that is and who the Midland Area Transportation Study is and kind of what they do? Sure. So um, so this is actually a fairly new organization in our area, um, which was the result of the 2010 census um, that then allowed for us to have enough um, of an urbanized um uh, population clustering that allowed us to then re- meet, a, meet a threshold that created this organization. And it's a centralizing of decisions around long-term planning, largely transportation-related. Um, when it's a metropolitan planning organization, they do look at land use, they look at large users, um, but it's a very transportation-oriented focus. Um, that includes vehicle users and roadway design. Um, it also has implications on transit, um, and they can look at um, mass transit through um, busing and things like that that we have. Sure. Um, though, of course, we have um, dial-a-ride and county connection in Midland County at the moment, um, but they do, those the staffing of those do participate in um, committees of the MPO uh, to make sure that there's coordination there. Um, Maya and her team over at Matt's, mm-hmm. um, they also look at non-motorized transportation. Sure. And so they are quite passionate around understanding that not everyone can drive, um, not everyone wants to drive, and there are alternatives that they want to make sure are available to people um, so that they have some variety and choice of how they get from place to place, and non-motorized transportation through biking and walking is also a part of their consideration. Um, one project I know we worked closely with them on recently was the um, redesign of the U.S. Bicycle Route 20 through mm-hmm. the city limits and connecting Midland to Bay City and vice versa. Um, and that was something that we were able to convene through MDOT and through the MPO of both Midland and Bay Counties and um, were able to successfully get um, a change there that makes a much logical, much more logical connection between the two cities. Nice. So, Matt, you said input from the public is considered when we're looking at road construction projects or road needs. Um, If residents have a concern about their street's condition, what can they do about it? Who should they talk to? Um, Well, there's a number of different places you can reach out to us. Um, We work very closely with the DPS, the Department of Public Services. Um, Basically, if it's a a more of a minor repair, like um, potholes, some filling in minor cracks, things like that. Um, they're most likely the ones that are going to be doing that work. We can get that done um, typically on a, a pretty quick basis. We don't need to program an entire project for something like that. Sure. Um, larger projects 
that require any of those roadway resurfacings or reconstructions or anything that we talked about earlier, those are going to run through the engineering department. But we work um, closely on a daily basis. We're always in communication. So um, you can, they can reach out to DPS. They can reach out to the engineering department or, or anyone at, at City Hall, and we'll get them to the right place. And um, we'll, we'll make sure that we look into those requests. And, and we always keep them on file and take that into account when we're programming projects. Perfect. Okay. So switching gears a little bit, Matt, if I could ask a question around um, traffic control devices. So things like stoplights, um, traffic signals, street signs, mm -hmm. um, maybe stop signs and the like. Um, I know we get a lot of requests for them to be added or changed or modified. So how does your department um, handle those types of requests and what's the decision-making process look like? Yeah, we, we do. We get a lot of those requests or, or just, you know, questions and looking for information. Um, and those are, are mostly um, governed by a, a document that um, is out there. It's called the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices. Um, that's something that kind of lays out the requirements as far as what is necessary to put a stop sign up, what is necessary for maybe a, a flashing um, red or, or yellow light, what's what traffic volumes and other um, considerations are necessary to look at as far as putting a signal up. So, you know, we're always looking that, at that on our end as well. But whenever those requests come in, uh, we will basically perform a, a traffic study at that location to look at all of those different um, pieces of information that go into it, compare it to those requirements that are laid out for us, um, in some of those guidance documents and, and see whether we can um, whether we can put something up there and have it be justified as you know necessary for traffic um, if we're if we put up too many um, we're slowing traffic down and it can actually cause safety issues if we don't have enough up there um, obviously that's safety issue as well so we mm -hmm. want to get that balance correct but um, we take those requests pretty regularly. We look into each one, and, and it's it's a, a more detailed study to, to look at that and, and see whether it's warranted to, to go in or not. Very good. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a lot of decision-making. Just like with a road design project, it, there's it a is. lot that goes into there, that. There's more a than lot just, behind it. I want a stop sign. You know, there's a lot that has to be considered in that case. Certainly. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Word on the Streets. We're talking with our special guest, city engineer, Matt Lemon. We've talked a lot about non-motorized transportation on this podcast and how it's a critical piece of the community's transportation network. So Matt, when you're thinking about projects, reconstructing a road, maybe building something new, what consider considerations do we make at the city when we're planning for non-motorized transportation as a component of that? Well, we always do. Um take into account both biking and, and walking uh, as many pedestrians and non-motorized users as we can. Um, a lot of what we're looking at is maintenance or, or fixing existing roads. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're there at the same time, um, and even not necessarily there fixing a road, but when we're identifying potential projects, we're looking at condition of sidewalks, um, the number of connections, 
where do we have um, updated ADA ramps mm -hmm. and, and where do we not have them? How do we maintain those connections and, and facilitate getting people um, around the city and, and maybe the same um, pathways that you might take in a vehicle, but a, as a pedestrian as well. Um, those are all built into those same estimate numbers we get uh, and worked in as, as one of those considerations as well when we're prioritizing projects and, and coming up with um, our plan for the, the upcoming year and, and into the future. Sure. And that's a good point, Matt. It's, it is a, a very much a maintenance-oriented CIP. Um, so the capital improvement plan is, is largely looking at doing, like we talked about early on in last, um, uh, the, before the intermission, was just um, the, the types of fixes that you're doing um, don't always lend itself to be able to do a full redesign of the street or reconstruction of the street that then would allow for other pieces of infrastructure that can facilitate other modes of transportation, biking, yeah, walking, and sure. the like. Unfortunately, they don't, but we, mm -hmm. we work as much of that in as we can. Um, Correct. It, well, I think you mentioned, too, we have a lot of existing infrastructure. So a lot of it is, you know, we are figuring out how that infrastructure gets repaired and replaced and not as much um, as uh, building the new environment. Um, so let's think about these policies and the complete streets policy that we have. None of these get implemented in a vacuum, right? Like there's all kinds of things going on, changes at the federal level, state level. We've had changes even locally. Um, for funding and, and, and to structural changes as well that impact all the work that's going on. So, Matt, what do you see the toughest challenge being for someone in the public sector in your role in today's environment? The the toughest thing is really um, keeping up with the, the current condition of roads. Um, we had a, a big boom in the past of installing all of this infrastructure, and it's all kind of aging out at the same time. And it, it's expensive to get in and, and fix it all um, and, you know, update things, make things more current, um, uh, more in, in line with best practices and, and things that have, have changed demographically in our city and, sure. and in different municipalities around the country and different modes of transportation. Um, so really that, that most challenging part is, um, as Grant was kind of talking about, you know, we have a lot out there, but um, it's it's that balance between the maintenance of it and and keeping it as is, or spending a little bit more money to design things a little bit differently when we have that opportunity to to come in and and kind of keep up with the changes. Sure. So, Grant, from the perspective of a planning environment, what do you think is most challenging in today's environment? Yeah, so that that's a good question, and I think I'm actually going to borrow a lot from Strong Towns, um, which is an sure. online publication and website. Oh, yeah. um, We've talked a lot about Strong Towns. We in this have, podcast. we have, and and I think kind of going back to the realization that what we live in um, today, uh, with a very auto-oriented and very auto-dependent um, style of um, civilization, if you even want to use that term, mm -hmm. um, it's very new. Um, it's not time-tested. It doesn't have hundreds of thousands of years of sustainability and recognition that it isn't something that can be done for the long term. It's a new experiment that's only happened in um, society over the last hundred years. And so I think what we're really starting to understand is that all of that infrastructure that we have built, kind of like what Matt was saying, it's all becoming um, due for improvements and vast intervention 
Um, and I think the recognition of us understanding that we've built too much is something that it's kind of hard for us to all sort of swallow. Mm -hmm. um, and I think certainly from just a cultural perspective, um, if you build in sort of the, the expectation that we have, we we do have high expectations as a society. We want our yeah. roads to be in good condition. We want our schools to be in good condition. We want all of our public facilities to be in good condition. We also want to be able to go and get our consumers' goods um, for as cheap <laughs> as possible, right. um, but get as much as we possibly can, um, which is sort of the the phenomenon that we're living in within kind of the hyper-consumer um, orientation of society. So I, I, I think from an urban planning perspective, which really is the intersection of a lot of these different um, ways of thinking, whether that's cultural or social or um, uh, physical in the terms of infrastructure and other things, I think it is, um, it, it's understanding we have a lot of challenges that we need to start to think through. Um, the way that we start to, I think, build an understanding of what that could look like in the future and how we need to change is really around the concept of resiliency. Yeah. And resiliency is not, not necessarily just environmental, but it is, it's financial, it's sustainable within municipal systems. And we have to have an element of understanding that our lifestyle has to change in order to be a resilient place um, and city and state and country um, for the future. So. I know that's, it seems sort of overwhelming with how much change there is, but <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of good progress that's starting to go in that direction and a lot of good analysis that's really starting to understand fully the issues that we have um, in this suburban experiment of auto orientation. Um, there's a lot more people, a lot more academics and other researchers that are looking to try and get um, quantitative data around how do we understand what we've created, how it's unsustainable, and how we can make it more resilient for the future. Sure, sure. So let's talk about some fun stuff. Good this year's construction projects. That probably <laughs> excites absolutely no one, except maybe Matt and me, when I have to answer your Facebook comments. Um, so the season <laughs> kicks off in May. Tell us about what we can expect to see this year out on the roads. We've got uh, a lot of projects on tap for this year. We're, we've got... Um, 12 or 13 projects that are scheduled to happen um, between basically May and, and as long as we can go into the fall with mm -hmm. the construction season. Um, a number of them are on some of our local roads. We've got some some work on Pine Street and North Street with doing a little bit of roadway rehabilitation, a little bit of um, water main work. Um, we've got some on... Um, Cortland and, and Dillaway coming up as well, kind of the same situation there. Um, but we also have a, a lot of work on more of our major streets. Um, we've got Jefferson roadway reconstruction there um, between Sugnet and Wheeler. Um, a lot of people probably know that that's not in great shape right now, yes. but um, <laughs> it, it will be a, a, a little bit of pain for a, a short time this summer as we get in there and um, do the the full reconstruct there um, for a lot of a lot of positivity going forward and, and getting that one fixed. <laughs> yes, that one um, has needed it. So I know yeah, there are a lot of people excited about that, that one. That's our our biggest one. Um, we also have uh, a number of other projects. Um, one is on on Waldo Road, um, out by James Savage and, and Bay City Road. Um, we've got a little bit on Wackerly as well. Um, kind of. Uh, towards the, the western half of that. Um, and, and we have a big water main project on Soccer Drive out by all the, the soccer fields as well. Um, so that's one of our 
projects that's not necessarily as much street oriented, but we we implement a lot of those other projects that are um, to to fix or, or upgrade our utility infrastructure as well. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, and Matt, you're probably excited to see all of them get completed this year, <laughs> uh, which is a right. lot. That's yes. a long list. That's a lot. It, it's it's a, a big year it for is. us, for sure. Yep. You and your team are going to be um, definitely doing a lot of lot of work this season and um, definitely just I say thanks ahead of time um, for all the all the hard work you're going to put in as, as things start to roll forward. But are there any particular projects or maybe one project that you're most excited to see be completed? Oh, well, another one that we have going in this year that um, should be getting started in the next week or so, hopefully, um, or, or at least very quickly, um, is our Sugnet Road extension um, from, you know, all the way from the Northwood campus out to connecting uh, at Main Street, um, where we kind of terminate now. We don't have a lot of connections out there uh, for kind of that northwestern section of the city, but we do have a lot of development happening out there. Um, So making that connection and, and having that extra route in uh, will be a big change. It'll be a big help. It'll relieve a lot of traffic, hopefully, on, on Saginaw Road and give mm-hmm. people um, another option. And that's been a long process of, of coordinating with MDOT and getting the funding in place and kind of doing that in segments. So it'll be exciting to see that one completed and in, in, in the ground. It will. And, and I think that one certainly had some recent controversy that surrounded it, um, mm-hmm. a possibly some misunderstanding um, around where the funding is coming from. So I'm mm-hmm. happy to hear you say that, yes, there is a big part of that that project um, that's being funded through the MPO and, and mm-hmm. through um, federal funding. Yeah, there's, there's a, a very small portion of that that's actually city paid. Uh, um, we've, we've done a lot of the work on it as far as the design. We've done a lot of the coordination on it and, and the, the back channel mm-hmm. work to kind of make that happen. Uh, but as far as actually paying for that and the funding, most of that is coming from um, outside sources. Correct. And that's also been a project that's been envisioned for decades mm-hmm. in the yeah. city. Um, I think at one point we did some research that took it back to uh, the 1970s, where there yeah. was understanding that there was a critical need for a secondary access um, in that part of the city. Um, we've had hundreds of homes um, since then that have been built over off of Countryside in Dublin. Um, and one thing that I think gets forgotten in those discussions is if um, Dublin between Countryside and North Saginaw Road around the rail trail and Midland Brewing Company out in that area, um, if there's a blockage of that roadway, um, the alternative for people that live off of um, those subdivisions down um, at Hawksnest and, mm-hmm. and others to the south, um, it's Tetabawassee River Road. Right. And as we yeah. have experienced in the last couple of weeks, that is unpassable, sometimes due to flooding. Yep. Um, it's also um, gravel yep. um, and can be treacherous for people to, tr- to travel over to. And so critical to, um, to this project is secondary connectivity. Yeah. Um, and that first piece that connected Sugna, or connected Dublin to uh, Northwood Drive helped um, sure. But now adding in that additional piece is going to have um, even more of a direct connection into the main part of the city. It also could catalyze some additional development out in that area. Sure, yeah. Uh, more housing, um, which is needed in Midland. It could catalyze more um, educational resources yep. through the university campus. Um, it's also immediately adjacent to the south side of Dow High School. Um, it's also right next to the hospital. I was going to say the hospital is right Correct. in that area as well. It yep. is. And We've been communicating and, and working mm-hmm. closely with both the hospital and Northwood um, pretty often on 
on exactly what's happening there and how they can incorporate that into their plans yeah. as well. They've got a significant amount of development that's that's going on at My Michigan right now and um, planned for the next couple of years. That's going to be a, a huge game changer, I think, for our community, more than it already is. Um, we're becoming quite the, the destination for medical services yes. now. We are, a- absolutely. And, and yeah, my, my Michigan is critical to that. There's been other um, actors in our market as well yep. um, in that area too. But but yes, I think looking at it from all of those perspectives is, is something that um, Matt and his team have done, and certainly a lot of city officials through many, many years have, have wanted to lay the groundwork for that. Yeah. So we've mentioned it's been on the table for a long time. Why now? Why are we getting the opportunity to do this now? What decisions kind of had to fall into place in order to really make this happen? Um, we've been pushing it for, for quite a while. Um, and and quite honestly, a lot of it is MDOT driven now. Um, they've gone through their entire cycle. They've got it programmed. They, they kind of work through their same process that we do as yeah. far as identifying projects and putting funding in place and, and things like that. But they're... Um, they're working on a, quite a bit longer of a time frame. Sure. Um, they may be looking at projects that are 10 to 15 years out. Um, and now we've we've moved into that time and, sure. and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're ready to go. And mm-hmm. uh, like we said before, that's where the majority of the funding is coming from. We've worked very closely with them to, to identify that and, and make sure it happens um, and keep this rolling. But... Um, it's taken a lot of work to get them to the point where they've got the funding available and they're ready to go with it and and designs are all approved it's it's a very long process but um it's it's been in the works for for a long time it it hasn't just gotten pushed off to the side and <laughs> right. and ignored for a while it's it's unfortunately just it's been a long process but but here we are we're we're at the front of the line now and and we're ready to go and get this in the ground yeah that, that's Absolutely. something we've talked about as process in this podcast when we started this podcast we were very open with people it's going to be a couple of years before we really start to see any yeah. traction on the buttles reconstruction and redesign you know this is all a yeah. process and it is it takes time yep we've talked a lot about um, being intentional with design which you want to take the time to do that and there's a lot of actors within that and then funding is continuing to be something that I know local municipalities are, are trying to figure out I mean, the state and federal government are, are assisting with some of that but they're having similar challenges too so right. um, it's just something that has to take time so Grant what do you think about um, with this new extension on Sugnet Road, we talk about non-motorized transportation. How do you think this is going to impact the non-motorized transportation um, within this area? Because, like mm-hmm. you said, Northwood is in that area. There's a lot of development going on. I know I've seen some preliminary designs, and there was going to be some bike lanes, I think, going in on that extension. Yes. Um, talk to me about what how you think that's going to impact this area. Sure. So it's going to add into the connectivity of that entire network. Um, so one thing that I know has happened in the city is we do have a large non-motorized transportation network. We have a, a plan that implemented that through the latter parts of the 2010s and um, around 2013 is when the last plan was, was updated. Um, but that created a system and then there's um, ways that we can add to that system by adding intentional connections. Um, one sort of example of how this will benefit non-motorized transportation specifically, and let's talk about um, a bicyclist at the intersection of Orchard and Sugnut. If they wanted to go from there um, and get to um, Ice Cream or um, out to Sanford on the rail trail, how would they go about connecting to the rail trail? 
right now. They'd have to go all the way down to Orchard right. to connect yeah. at Emerson yeah. Park and then on to the rail trail there, or they would go over to uh, Main Street and then connect down to where um, there's some connection through that place as well. Um, now they'll be able to connect directly from Sugnut over to um, the rail trail just as it um, connects through uh, the Northwood Drive um places just off the new student housing that's been built as well. Sure. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, it'll also make a, a nice east-west connection to go from Dublin all the way over to Orchard and, and further uh, along Sugnut um, through non-motorized opportunity. That's awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. If you'd like to learn more about the city's engineering department, view the construction schedule, and learn more than you ever wanted to know about road construction, you can check that out on the city's website at cityofmidlandmi.gov engineering. We're also going to post a link to the 2022 construction set schedule so that you can take a look at that on our podcast website, cityofmidlandmi.gov corridors. So that is all for this installment, but we will be back again next month. Well, Grant won't be back, but I'll be back for sure. With more updates and information on the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project and other infrastructure in our community. See you soon and slow down. This has been Word on the Streets, a podcast created by the City of Midland, Michigan and produced by the MCTV Network. For more information on this podcast or to learn more about the Buttles and Indian Corridor Improvement Project, visit cityofmidlandmi.gov corridors.